0: Welcome. I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the teaching pastors at Blue Oaks. If this is your first time here, I want to say a special welcome to you. I'm glad you decided to join us for the start of this series, Storyteller. You know, Jesus gave considerable thought to his method of teaching. How was he going to teach in a way that would engage highly intellectual people, as well as some of the most uneducated people? Well, the primary method he chose was to tell stories. In fact about a third of his words recorded in scripture are stories these stories are designed to make the truth available to everyone jesus would say ever see a shepherd desperately searching for a lost sheep then you understand god's heart for people who are lost he would tell stories about corrupt judges poor widows buried treasures lazy employees bad debts noisy neighbors And for 2,000 years now, these stories have stretched the greatest minds in the world and fed the simplest ones. They've pierced the hardest hearts and shaped the greatest souls that have walked the face of the earth. And we're going to start today by looking at a very important story. And I need you to know up front that this is a heavy story. I'm going to talk today about a place that does not get talked about very often. Uh, It's generally considered impolite in our day to even bring it up. It's described in imagery that's dark and bleak. Uh, No one thinks they're gonna end up in this place, uh, but people do. Uh, We're gonna talk today about Fresno. (laughs) I'm kidding. If you're from Fresno, I'm sorry. Please don't send me an email. I apologize ahead of time. Uh, The story we're gonna look at today is about life and death and what happens just minutes after we die. If you walk through a cemetery, you realize what some people think about death by reading the gravestone. I read a couple of unusual gravestones. I'll share a few with you. One said, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Uh, There's a tombstone of a hypochondriac that just says, I told you I was sick. Uh, Mel Blanc is the voice behind all of the cartoon characters in Looney Tunes. Uh, He was the voice of Porky Pig, who would say at the end of every movie, that's all, folks. Well, guess what his family put on his tombstone? Yep, that's all, folks. So here's a question for us today. Is that all, folks? Does death mean the show is over? Or is it possible that somewhere the real show is just beginning? Well, today we're gonna look at a story Jesus tells about what happens just a few minutes after we die. It's in Luke 16. When Jesus began telling the story, the crowd had no idea where he was going with it. Uh, In this story, he addresses quite graphically some of the questions people have about life and death and what happens just minutes after we die. This is what he told the crowd. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we have this beggar who would lie outside the gate of this rich man's estate, hoping and praying that maybe some of the hired help would bring leftovers from the fine food they were eating. The bigger was so poor he couldn't afford to see a doctor and his body was decaying. Uh, he was in such bad shape that the dogs in the city would come around and lick his wounds. Now remember, the listeners have no idea where this story is going. And all of a sudden, Jesus surprises them with the punchline of the story. The punchline is that both of these guys die at the same time on the same day, they both die. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So Jesus is talking about heaven here. The rich man also died and was buried. Even with all of his wealth, this man could not avoid death. They both died. They both are buried and they both must face eternity. And it's at this point, Jesus's listeners understood exactly what he was trying to say to them. He was trying to say no matter who you are you're not going to escape death it is the inevitable chasm we all must cross and so here's the question i'd like you to reflect on at this point what happens just a few minutes after you die what really happens that's what i want to talk about in the time we have left all right now from this story i want to suggest three things that will happen just a few minutes after you die Uh, First of all, you will be wide awake. In this story, both the rich man and Lazarus immediately woke up on the other side. There was no delay in that. When Jesus was dying on a cross, there was a thief dying on the cross next to him. And Jesus was dying for the sins of that thief and for your sins and for my sins. And Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Not some day, not years from now, but this day, there's no delay. When you die, your spirit immediately goes to the other side. So minutes after you die, you will be wide awake. Second, at that moment, you will be filled with either tremendous gratitude or enormous regret. You will not be neutral. And I want to spend most of our time today on this point. Uh, There was a stunning reversal for this rich man and Lazarus on the other side. This is what Jesus said. He didn't go to hell because of his affluence. We find in this text that Lazarus is in heaven next to Abraham. Abraham was one of the most affluent people in all of the Old Testament. It didn't keep him out of heaven. Uh, The problem of this rich man was he never responded to the God who gave him life. He never responded to God's purposes for his life. This guy's problem was throughout his lifetime, he never thought about anything other than himself, including God. His problem was he wasn't prepared for death. Jesus asked a great question in the Gospel of Mark. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? I'm telling you, and you can see it in this story, when you wake up on the other side of eternity, you're going to be filled with either tremendous gratitude for where you are or enormous regret. There will be no middle ground. This is a unique passage because it's the only passage that describes for us the words and the thoughts and the feelings and the experience of someone in hell. A Gallup poll found that 78% of Americans believe in heaven and 78% believe they have a good chance of going there. Uh, 60% of Americans believe in hell and only 4% believe they have a good chance of going there. Uh, Now, those of you who know me know I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher but you know I'm committed to telling you the truth, even when it's not pleasant. And because the topic of hell is in this passage, I need to talk to you about something for a few moments that I take very little pleasure in talking to you about. Uh, People wonder, what is hell like? And it's interesting that a lot of people get their picture of hell from things like cartoons in our day. Uh, I saw one a while ago. It was a split view of heaven and hell. Uh, they both looked exactly alike except for one detail Uh, there were big crowds of people and everyone was going through a gate Uh, in the heaven one someone was saying welcome to heaven here's your harp and the hell one someone was saying welcome to hell here's your accordion (laughs) a lot of people get a picture from stuff like that Uh, a kind of corollary picture is wouldn't it be better to be in hell with my friends than in heaven with a bunch of weird people Uh, People don't put it exactly that way, but that's the question. The picture they have is something like this. Hell may be dark and so on, but at least there are no rules or Bibles and I'm free to do whatever I want. Kind of like an eternal Bud Light commercial. Now, this is very important. You can only understand the tragedy of hell against the backdrop of the wonder of heaven. Heaven will be perfect uninterrupted community with God and people a complete and intimate love and joy Uh, it's that for which you were made and there you will finally fully become the person God intended you to be so whatever joy gets communicated in things like Bud Light commercials uh, those kind of commercials appeal to our sense of uh, brotherhood or zest for life or laughter these are all good things but they have all been distorted by sin in our world. And they will all one day be utterly redeemed and fulfilled in heaven, or they will all be completely distorted and lost in hell. There is no community in hell. One of the primary images in the Bible for hell is the uh, image of being excluded from community. All right, real quick, I wanna show you three things we learn about hell from this story. One is, Hell is a place of enormous discomfort. It's a place of torment. Uh, The rich man says, I am in agony in this fire. Uh, Jesus described hell in Mark 9 as a fire that is not quenched. Other writers of scripture use terms like death or outer darkness or bottomless pit to describe hell. Whatever hell is like, Jesus used the absolute worst terms he had available to him in order to describe it. Uh, Second, hell is a place of memory In verse 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Abraham tells the rich man to remember his lifetime. The rich man looked over and saw Lazarus in perfect comfort in heaven, and he remembered how he used to be so wrapped up in his life and in his wealth that he walked right by this person in need, this person suffering with sores and starving to death right outside his gate. He could remember. So not only is it a place of torture and memory, according to this text, but hell is irreversible. In verse 26, Abraham said, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There are no reversals. There's a finality about what happens just minutes after you die. And for anyone in hell, there is going to be enormous regret over the missed opportunities they had during their lifetime to seek God, to find God, to respond to God, and to get right with God while they had the opportunity to do so on this side. Now, some people say they can't understand how a loving God can send people to hell. Please hear this. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We send ourselves there. God sent his only son so that no one would have to go there. Jesus gave his lifeblood on a cross so that everyone could be saved from that place. If a person like this rich man in this story ends up in hell, it's not because God sent him there. It's because this person rejected all of God's efforts to keep him away from that place during his lifetime. If someone is there, it's not because of what God has done. It's in spite of what God has done. And I believe the writers of scripture are very clear on this. And I hope if you don't take anything else away today, you take this truth. No one on earth, not the most earnest, passionate person, wants people, all people, to spend eternity in heaven with God, one one millionth as much as God does. That's why John wrote, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And Peter wrote, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Paul writes in in 1 Timothy 2 that God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. No one wants people to spend an eternity in heaven with God as much as God does. And God paid the ultimate price so that people could be saved from hell. We have a warning sometimes for people. If we're if we really don't want them to do something, if we're dead set against it, we'll say you'll do that over my dead body. Well, Jesus says any member of the human race is going to have to go to hell over my dead body. He says the only way to get there is if you want help, you must walk all the way around the cross. The cross is God's ultimate expression, the ultimate price paid so that all human beings can spend eternity in heaven. Which brings us to the second half of this point. The writers of scripture are clear that for those who respond to God's amazing grace through his son, their experience just minutes after they die leaves them tremendously grateful. Jesus used terms to describe heaven that defy the imagination. You take the best day that you've ever had on this earth and it doesn't compare to a day in heaven. Even on our best days, there's something inside of us that knows this isn't it. There's a longing for something more. The apostle Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I think Paul said that for those of us who kind of get confused about heaven. Some people think of heaven as like the, the ultimate retirement village. I was talking to someone who asked me if there was going to be golf in heaven His thought was, I can't be happy without golf. And since heaven is a place where I'll be happy, there must be golf in heaven, right? I explained to him that in heaven, we know there will be no lying, swearing or cheating. So how could golf be there? Now, my understanding of scripture is that when you die, your soul, your true self, who you are, immediately goes to be with God on the other side. The apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be be present with the Lord. Uh, When Jesus died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he went to be with the Father. Do you remember the spirituals the slaves would sing in the cotton fields when they were being abused and starved and worked until they dropped dead? Songs like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Coming for to Carry Me Home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. We read in history books that often it was the singing of songs like that about heaven that kept hope alive in slaves. For those who experience heaven, there will be nothing but tremendous gratitude for the God who sent his son to save them, for the God who prepared an indescribable home for them, for the God who is worthy of our worship and our gratitude forever and ever. All right, before we go any further, I'd like you to hear part of Jishnu's story.
1: Hi folks, uh, I'm Jishnu, I'm one among you, one who was lost, confused, questioned, even I still do, ran far, far away, but I'm here today to testify that he will find you, just like the way I was found. Being born and raised in India into a mixed belief of Hindu religion and communist belief, grown into a very arrogant, proud, atheist uh, with every possible bent of mind to logically and analytically look at things. Found every piece of joy in actually putting down or rather winning over debates on religious beliefs, questioning the way that how would one would just blindly have a faith on something which they do not even see, which they don't even perceive. Which there is no, there's no five senses of feeling on that. But today when I look back, I believe he had a plan for me. The reason then, he started bringing in people in my life. He started with my beloved wife, the then my girlfriend, who is a believer, who started bringing in, sharing her faith, her journey with me But it was just like listening through one ear and not paying any attention or just, or at times, in fact, questioning the faith altogether. And you know, as I said earlier, it was like a win over a weak mind, but with a faithful heart. And then in my professional life, I started having endearing colleagues who started talking about faith and their journey. And even then I started pushing things away. But one thing, even then I recognized that no matter how far I'm trying to run, he was just not letting me go. It happened for years and years together until one fine day when I really realized that I had enough, that has been enough of a run. I've been so exhausted. Then I don't think I can take this by myself. Just by myself alone. Realizing that okay, how far I am, there was one point in time that came to my life that I actually started acknowledging that okay, it's no point in questioning anymore. It's the point of actually surrendering myself to completely to him. And that's what happened, folks. It was last year, last year, December, that I accepted him as my one and only savior in my life. And I strongly believe that the battle, the run that I had with him before accepting him, he won, it wasn't me. And I have battle after accepting him and I'm sure he will win too. That's my story folks. And I hope like me, People who are still there, who are still trying to find where the Abaya is, where Jesus is, will definitely. He need not have to. He or she need not have to find him. He will find you, just like he found me. I mean, I stand before you to attest that. Definitely. Thank you, folks.
0: All right, so just moments after you die, first of all, you will be wide awake. Second, you'll either be full of tremendous gratitude or enormous regret. The third thing we learn from the story is you will be able to reflect back on your life with great clarity. Just minutes after you die, you will have great clarity on what mattered most in this life. I look at verses 27 and 28, just minutes after the rich man dies. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Uh, There was an urgency in his voice. For the first time in the story, the rich man shows he's interested in someone other than himself. He says, someone's got to tell my brothers that hell is real and that real people go there pull out all the stops, do whatever has to be done to keep my brothers from coming to this place. I don't know about you, but that scene gives me perspective on what matters most. In life, the rich man didn't care about anyone but himself, but just moments after he died, he was crystal clear on what matters most. It wasn't his wealth, his house, his portfolio, his business deals, or his cars. It was one thing, people. That was the one thing that mattered and the only thing that lasts forever. And if at that point, that guy could go back, I think he would do a lot of things differently. I think he would generously share with people outside of his gates who had physical, emotional, and relational needs. But there's something else that's crystal clear from the story, and that is, it's not enough to meet just the physical needs of people. What good is it if we meet their physical needs to the neglect of their spiritual needs? Like the rich man in the story, all of us know people who are unprepared for the other side. And just a few minutes on the other side, and it's gonna be crystal clear to us. Sometimes I wonder if a few minutes after I die, I won't say to myself, I should have given a little more. I should have prayed a little more. I should have shared my faith a little more. Do you remember the final scene of the movie, Schindler's List? Oskar Schindler, the Polish businessman, is standing before the people that he saved. Uh, He used a portion of his fortune to put the names of Jews on a work list that would keep them from going to concentration camps. These were human beings who escaped death because of his action. As he looks into their faces, he has a moment of clarity. He sees things as he's never seen them before. And he's talking to his friend. He says, if only there could have been more. If only I could have done more. His friend says, there are a thousand people here. I mean, there are generations here because of what you've done. But Schindler said, it could have been more. I could have sold my car and it would have meant 10 more people, 10 more people on that list, 10 more lives saved. He had a moment of clarity when he realized the difference between what we value on this earth and what is valuable in eternity. And I pray we all have those moments of clarity. All right, so I've tried to be as honest and as straightforward with you as possible about what happens after you die. And I imagine you're in one of a few places right now. Maybe this message has left you feeling like you have some issues, you need to get straightened out. Issues that this man in the story never got straight. It's just so much clearer to you now what's going to matter on the other side. Or maybe this message has left you realizing you've got some soul issues to get right. I guarantee you won't be dead five seconds and one of two things will be true of you. You're either going to deeply regret that you didn't enter a relationship with Jesus Christ while you had the chance, or you will look back and you will say that receiving Jesus Christ into your life was the single best decision you've ever made just moments on the other side, it's gonna be clear to us. Have you settled that issue in your heart and mind? I believe God has you listening today to give you that opportunity. Maybe God is drawing you. Maybe God is tugging at your heart. Maybe you're listening and you just started exploring Christianity and you need more time. You're not ready to make a decision yet. I wanna encourage you to keep listening, keep learning, Ask God to help show you the way. All right, I want to close with this. We all have this picture in our mind of waiting in this long line that leads up to the pearly gates where we meet up with St. Peter, who has this book. And in this book are all the good things and the bad things we've done. And if we've done more good things than bad, if it balances outright, he's going to say, you can come in. So as we move forward in the line, we get more and more nervous, hoping that somehow we'll make it in. That's the wrong picture. The writers of scripture say heaven is a perfect place. And because it's perfect, even one imperfection will keep you out. If you have even one bad thought, one wrong action, one sin in your life, that's enough to keep you out of heaven. That means I don't stand a chance in a million of getting into heaven on my own effort. And neither do you. So that's why God came up with another plan. He sent his son, a savior. Someone needed to remove the imperfections so that we can go to heaven. That's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he died on the cross, to remove the imperfections in your life, to offer you forgiveness. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ with your life, I can't think of a better thing for you to do today. Simply say to God, I trust you as the way to heaven. You can do that today, just tell him. I'd like us to close in prayer. And if you're willing to let the reality of heaven and hell impact your life in a motivating, life-giving, strengthening way today, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to tell me the good news that you love me and you wanna welcome me into heaven one day. I believe you are who you say you are and I believe you came to give me life in all its fullness. I believe there is nothing I can do to free me from my sin or the consequences of my sin, which would be hell. You paid the price through Jesus' death on the cross to set me free from sin and hell. God, for the rest of my life, for whatever time remains between now and when I die, I give my life to you. I give you my heart, my mind, my behavior. I don't hold anything back. God, I look forward to the promise of heaven. And I look forward to this because of the hope that I have through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, For directions or information about What we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.